Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us. guys, on today's episode, I have Brittany Shank joining me, and I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. Brittany just really has a passion for, as she words it, mommies who are in the thick of mommyhood. So really, essentially what that means, to me at least, is that, you know, motherhood is hard, right? I mean, parenting in general is hard. And a lot of times we don't have enough conversations about the impact of that. Sometimes it's because we want to keep a really positive view of other people. We maybe put snapshots of our life on Facebook, right? But we maybe don't explain or share really vulnerably about some struggles that we have. And so I love that Brittany is so open and honest about her own unique experience, but also is able to really be supportive for other parents in really the thick of parenthood. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, Brittany, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Yes, of course. So you have been on before. Um, you were on an episode where we also had Emily Jones. That was episode eight. So if people want to go back and hear, you know, more about, you know, you and um, as a therapist and, and some of your mental health work, they can go back and listen to that episode. But I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself um, for people who maybe didn't hear that episode. Yes, of course. So my name is Brittany Shank. I am a therapist at Abound Counseling, and we're based out of um, our main station is in Fargo, North Dakota, um, but we, of course, have therapists throughout the entire state. I've been a therapist for about three years now. Um, I have my bachelor's degree and master's degree in social work, and after I got um, my master's degree, I needed an internship, and I um, so, like, thankfully and luckily happened to come across Abound Counseling, and I um, did my internship here with Sarah Stellman and um, was kind of, like, smitten for what they were doing and their view and their vision um, for the future and the way they did therapy. And so I um, was so, so lucky to be offered an internship and then a position right after my internship. So I um, do counseling there. And I mostly see teenagers and um, adults, and I have a couple, like, specific niches that if you want me to go into, I can, but... Sure, if you want to touch I've a little bit on them, you can. Yeah, okay. So um, the teenagers that I see, most of them um, I do trauma therapy with, so they've had a traumatic event or many traumatic events in their life, and we do a therapy to kind of like walk through their story and find out who they are outside of that story and inside of that story um, and kind of walking along with them through their journey of the traumatic experiences and what they want life to look like afterwards and kind of like gaining a grasp of who they are um, when you pull the trauma and the traumatic events away. Um, and then my the adult population I like to see um, are like mommies who are in the thick of mommyhood. And I'm pretty sure we'll get quite a bit into that a little bit later (laughs) in this episode um so we'll get into that later and then also I'm a military veteran and I um, specialize in seeing survivors of sexual assault so that's both in the military and outside of military survivors of sexual assault Mm -hmm. um but so those are kind of the populations that I see outside of work I am a veteran as I said before I've been in the military for um about 13 years now, mm-hmm. I'm in the Air National Guard, 
Um, and I'm also a mom of two beautiful babies, um, a four-year-old who is like straight up spunk <laughs> and a one and a half year old who is like the total opposite and super calm. And there are worries and concerns and happy moments with both of those temperaments. Mm-hmm. And so we can also kind of get into later some of the thoughts and feelings that um, kind of come with very different temperaments in the kiddos that I have. Um, and then also I have a husband and I've been with my husband for um, 12 years and we've been married for about six, about six years. So okay. that's kind of who I am um, in my professional and personal life. Um, I also have this new, like somewhat secretive um, journey of narrating audiobooks that I am just kind of like peeping into and figuring out about and um, it's just kind of my like guilty pleasure on the side. Yeah. No, I love that. You know that I love audiobooks. And so when I found out you were doing that, I was so pumped. Like, this is so fun. So we'll definitely, we're going to have to talk about that later for sure. So can that I ask, good. did you meet your husband in the military then? I did not. And I get okay. that question all the time. Yeah. Because um, the timeline, met- that's the only reason I was wondering. Yeah. I enlisted in the military, but had not yet gone to basic training. So him and I met and a month later, I left to basic training and oh my, gosh. my basic training graduation. And yeah, Aww. pretty crazy story. Yeah. That's awesome though. I love stories like that. So that's great. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your, you know, really your passion with helping people, you know, through motherhood. Um, Cause it's not, it's, it's just not easy. Let's be real. <laughs> There's some really yeah. great parts of it. And I love to talk about those really great parts. But there are some really hard parts too. And I'm not sure that we talk about that side of things as much. And so I'm wondering if you can share where your passion came from with that. Yeah, of course. So I, um, let's see. Okay, so I've known since I was as young as I can remember that I wanted to be a mom. Oh, wow. And I would, you know, like play with babies and I named my babies certain names that I swore I was going to name my babies when I had them. And I just always knew that I wanted to be a mom for most of my life. There actually was a part of life that I was like, I'm never having kids. And I don't really know if that's normal or not, but that was a part of my journey. But outside of that, like probably two or three year period, I was like, sure, I was going to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And I had this picture of what came with motherhood and what that looked like and um, just these like hopes and dreams. But I also had like this thought and pretty much throughout, I know for sure when I was a teenager and maybe even before that, I had these thoughts of like, I don't think I can have kids. And I truly like have no idea where that thought really came from or where it stemmed from Mm -hmm. or what, what that reasoning was for it. I just like, I don't know what it is, but I carried it with me for as long as I can remember. And so I remember always being really, really concerned about like actually being able to have kids. So um, when my husband and I decided we were ready to start trying to have kids, uh, we were not successful. It was really, really hard for us to have kids. Mm -hmm. And there was, we um, ended up getting like testing done on him and I, and there was a lot of work for us to actually get to the point of being able to conceive um my daughter Mm -hmm. and so I don't know if you want me to kind of explore our journey of fertility treatments or if you kind of want to save that for another episode another time you know I think Um, I think it would be helpful to touch on that because when your episode airs um I will have had Tina who really did such an amazing job running through her journey and her experience um but we were talking during that episode that sometimes it can be problematic to only have one point of view 
And so I actually didn't know that was part of your story, but if you feel comfortable sharing that, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, of course. So um, like I said, my husband and I thought we were ready to have kids. I say thought because like, I don't know if anybody is actually like a hundred percent ready or not. I'll be answer to that. But so we thought that we were ready. We were in a place to have kids and it, we tried and tried and tried and we just weren't getting pregnant. So we went to my OB doctor and talked to them about it and they were like, let's do some testing and all that stuff. And so we did the testing and we came to find out that things were good with my husband. Everything looked great for him. Um, But for me, things didn't look as good. And so um, really the situation with me was that I wasn't ovulating regularly. Am I allowed to say that on here? Yeah, you can say that. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You're so funny. I wasn't um, ovulating regularly. So they said, you can continue to try on your own, but the likelihood that you'll actually get pregnant or that you're ovulating at the right time, all that kind of stuff is is pretty unlikely. And so we would recommend that you guys do some fertility treatments. And so that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, We were young when we decided we were ready to start having kids. I call it young. Some people might not. But we were 23, 24 Mm -hmm. when we decided to start trying to have kids. So I think I was 24 when we started fertility treatments. And there was a lot of, like, talk with that. But there was a lot of, like, shame for me in that. Mm -hmm. And, like, are we too young to try this? And, like, young people should be able to conceive, right? And are we rushing this? And there was like a lot of doubt and I didn't have any other friends that had babies. So I, I like didn't know where to go. I mean, I was like so lost and feeling like I was kind of making decisions blindly and quite honestly, like too shameful to even talk to people about it. Cause it was like, well, there's something wrong with me. And I just didn't really have the avenues to talk about it Mm -hmm. quite honestly, or didn't think I did. I did. I didn't think I did. And so Um, We did do fertility treatments, and um, we got pregnant, and our first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And so that in itself was, like, it was tough. We had just told our family over Thanksgiving it was our first pregnancy, um, and it was, I, like, I didn't even know how to feel. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't really know, like, so what does a person do after they have a miscarriage? Like, do I just go to work? tomorrow or I mean I was just so like lost and our loss and our hopes of like we were pregnant and this happened and I always had this thought it was never going to happen and now it happened so um that was a big journey for us and we can talk more about that at another time as well but Mm -hmm. just for time's sake we'll kind of fast forward that was a really dark time in my life and I had a lot of really like negative thoughts about like my future like I had already thought I couldn't have kids and now this just kind of like reinforced that thought of like Brittany you're right you can't have kids why did you try to do that I mean it was just a really dark place right that's so interesting oh sorry to interrupt but that's so interesting that you had those thoughts though do you know what I mean like yeah that's just really interesting yep I know I know it was really something I carried with me for a long time um so through time, my husband and I decided to try fertility treatments again, mm-hmm. um, and we did. And on the first cycle of fertility treatments, we got pregnant, and that is when we got pregnant with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so it was, um, we were scared. I think lots of people are scared for a good portion of their pregnancy of hoping everything goes well. Mm-hmm. And of course, like worried about miscarriage and stuff like that again. Um 
but I carried her to term and we had her and she like literally came out of the womb a spitfire. Like the day she entered the world, she was like, get ready. <laughs> I love that. She has like lived up to that, her um, four years of life so far and we love it and embrace it. Um, and it's fabulous. But, um, so her name's Peyton and, um, I question myself so much. I, I swear I'm getting to your point of why this is, um, why I have a passion. For no, 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 you're doing great. I, this is really helpful. I swear I'm getting there, girl. You're, you're good. So, um, Peyton was, it was kind of that, like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Oh my gosh, are we ready for this? And then it was like, oh my gosh, she's here. Oh my gosh, are we ready for this? Right. And, um... I really questioned myself as a mother when I had Peyton. I like I was always wondering, am I doing this right? Is this normal? Is she acting normal? Am I responding normally? I had like my anxiety was out the roof after I had Peyton. Um, and I had a lot of really depressive thoughts. Like, I don't think I'm doing this right. Um, should I really be her mom? I mean, like just really, really like sad lonely I want to do this right and I don't think I can so should I be doing it type of thoughts and so that time after Peyton was born was probably one of the toughest times of my life to this point Mm -hmm. um, because I was so lost I didn't know like where the road was in front of me I mean it's like driving in the middle of a whiteout blizzard where you're like clenching on to your life hoping you're in the middle of the road and you're getting to the right place but you seriously have no idea and you don't know when it's going to end Right. Like you just don't know when you're gonna when it's gonna clear. What a good description! And so, um, you're so good at yeah, visuals. Thanks. You are so good at visuals. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, I held on tight, and my husband was working a lot at this time. Uh-huh. Um, so it was just a really he he truly he's an amazing person, and he really did the best he could. But just with the cards we were dealt with at the time, um, that's what it was. Yeah. And so um, that was my journey with Peyton. And so at some point in that journey, I started like reaching out to other people. And it was a long ways into that journey. I mean, I bet Peyton was probably like six months old, at mm-hmm. least by the time I started like reaching out to other people and starting to get the feeling of like, oh, wait, other moms don't know what they're doing either. Or other moms right. feel like this sometimes too. Right. I'm not alone. And this this actually makes me a good mom that I care about her future and well-being and if I'm doing things right. Absolutely. And so um, that's kind of when like things started to get some light shed on them. And also added to all of this, Peyton was really colicky. Oh, and so when I say colicky, I don't mean like, I seriously, guys, don't mean like, oh, she cried for 20 minutes straight once every hour. No, like, literally, I'm not joking. If she was awake, 90% of the time she was awake, she was crying. And so it was so, I mean, then you do everything, right? You, like, change the formula or you change what you're eating or you change the clothes that you're putting them in and you grab a sewing machine and you, I mean, like, everything, anything, everything you can think of. You try and change just to, like, make life a little bit easier. And I remember specifically there being times of me thinking she has to go to daycare because I can't do another day at home, mm-hmm. which is such a sad thought, but it was so real for me. Right, right. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Say that again? I was just saying, absolutely. You know, I've had times like that too, where it's just like, especially at the beginning, you know, you, you love 
it's so much, but some moments are so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. telling you to cherish every moment and that's exhausting and you don't want to cherish the crappy moments. And it's just like, there's so, so many thoughts and emotions that are at play at that point that I can totally yeah. understand what you mean with that. Yes, absolutely. And the guilt I felt for that, you mm-hmm. know, even just hearing you say that, Kelly, like, oh, hey, I felt like that too. We need more of. Yes. Because I didn't hear anybody say that. And this is by means no, not anybody else's fault. I'm not at all trying to say that. But right. I think we need to hear that more and to experience that more. Like, oh, that doesn't make me a crappy person or a crappy mom because I felt like I could not care for my child and they had to go to daycare. Right. I think we just need to know that that's okay to not feel so shameful about that because boy was I in like shame spiral central right during that time absolutely so um I started to find my footing honestly when I started feeling better about myself so the more confident I got in who I was the more confident I was as a parent and the more confident I was as being a parent that everybody didn't have to agree with yes And so I started going to, like, we had this girls' night and this book club, and those were, like, huge pieces of me feeling better. And I remember in the beginning, I could not even, like, begin to talk about parenting without, like, welling up with tears. And I knew I just couldn't talk about it without uncontrollably sobbing. So it was one of those things where you just sit at the table and keep your mouth shut, but you're taking in every single piece of information people are giving because you need it so bad. Right. I'm so glad that and you so, had that, though. Uh, yes, it, I mean, it, it was it was so nice. And so through that time of healing and gaining a grasp on life and parenting, I've realized how beneficial that can be for people who are struggling and suffering so bad before, during, and after having a baby. And so that is where my passion dove deep in on being there for other moms who are like in the thick of mommyhood who are preparing for mommyhood who are doing all that surrounding mommyhood because it was so so hard for me and the thing that got me out of it was other people understanding and so I think if we have that and we have people talking about it we have therapists like willing ready and armed for moms that are like that then I think we're doing our entire community as a service, our friends, our sisters, everybody a service by being able to sit with them through that and giving them like that outlet to be able to find their grasp in life and find who they are and to love themselves for whatever parenting strategies that they find useful in their home. Right. For sure. Thank you so much for talking us through that and why that's a passion of yours. And I have to share that even just as I listened you know to different circumstances that you went through and different emotions that you feel I can still feel like how raw emotion is you know not only for you not that I experienced it but just through your voice but also just hearing it thinking of my own experience like my heart is still so raw in that if that makes Mm -hmm. sense and my son is almost three years old (laughs) and so I think Mm -hmm. that's that's really where my passion comes from is that I think it's such a learning experience and I think that we make progress But I still think sometimes some of those emotions just, you can still almost feel them later on when you're talking with somebody else. And I still think that's healing, even years later. You know, I have Mm -hmm. um, clients that I work with who, you know, are in their 70s and 80s, and they mention something about, you know, about being a parent or some circumstance that they remember happening with their child. And it's just like it happened yesterday. Yeah. 
And so I, I yeah. absolutely agree. I think it's helpful for us to be able to talk openly and honestly about it. So, yes, so I agree. So I'm wondering, you know, just thinking about like tangible steps, like as the community or, at, you know, that the community may be able to make. I noticed that here in our community, there are birthing classes as there are at most hospitals. And obviously you, you see your doctor and um, we do have a shortage of mental health professionals here in the community, but it's getting a little bit better. But I'm not sure that there's really um, very much structure and support from others in the community. And I'm, I'm always so curious to ask people, do you remember like any appointments you went to after you had either of your children? Um, do you remember your doctor asking if, you know, pointing out any concerns or do you remember like going to any birthing classes and then really talking you know, about any mental health concerns, depression, anxiety, et cetera, rather than just mentioning the baby blues? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought this up. So um, we did do uh, um, like a um, Lamaze class. That's what it's called. My husband and I. Uh And um, during our Lamaze class, there was, and gosh, I'm so glad you brought this up, Kelly, because the number of times I have like thought back to this um, period Mm -hmm. um, is, is, a bunch but so in our Lamaze class there was one section um and by the way guys this is before I was a therapist so um regardless if it was before or after I did not have a level of knowledge and so the knowledge that I had was literally from this class Mm -hmm. about um uh postpartum depression or anything like that so anyways we were in our Lamaze class and there was a really short snippet that the lady went over about um uh, postpartum depression and in fact they didn't call it postpartum depression though they said um it they called it the baby blues and so they said that there's um something called the baby blues and it's a normal phase after you deliver a baby um where your hormones are kind of finding their regular pattern and um you might feel really sad and in it they said but that's different than postpartum depression postpartum depression is when you have really bad thoughts period and that was truly the end of it And so that's what I had in my head. That's what I carried with me when I delivered my baby. Postpartum depression wasn't much of a thought for Uh me. I mean, I don't know that anybody thinks, like, after I have this baby, I'm going to have postpartum depression. Um, But so after I had Peyton, when I was very depressed, I mean, this is getting, like, super deep and vulnerable. But I remember having thoughts of, like, what did we do? How did we do this? I'm going to have to do this for 18 more years. I mean, like those really, really sad thoughts of like, I just had a baby and I should not have made that decision. Mm -hmm. Super, super depressed thoughts. And I literally remember asking myself, not once, not twice, many, many, many times, are those the really bad thoughts they were talking about in that class? And so, and constantly going back and forth of like, well, if I said that to somebody, would they like put me somewhere like in a hospital somewhere or if I said that to somebody would they think I can't be a mom anymore because I don't actually not want my baby here but it was so unexplainable and so I was very quiet about those feelings I felt bad saying it to my husband because I didn't know if he felt that way and like how dare I say that about this precious little baby that we have and um was super super scary for me and didn't know where to go so I just really held it inside and so I very specifically remember going to I think it was my six-week follow-up appointment it might have been before that Mm -hmm. but it was like the one for me not for the baby and they had me answer a questionnaire and so the nurse pulled it up on the computer screen and I think it was like somewhere around 10 questions and they said this is just um 
protocol that we do this after so long after you deliver a baby. Can you answer the questions on the screen when I leave? And then the doctor will go over them with you when she comes in. Uh And so I was like, yep, sure I can. And so I very specifically remember looking at the questions and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not being honest. And I literally answered the questions not to match what I was actually feeling. Mm -hmm. Because I was so scared about what that meant and what would happen if I answered honestly to those questions. So I didn't. I answered to what I knew would pass this test because I was just so scared of what those repercussions would look like. Yep. And um, so once again, uh, something that was put in to help me, um, but I was too scared to use it appropriately because I didn't know what the outcome would be. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really common, you know, feeling because there really is a lot of times there's so much shame that goes into not necessarily, you know, looking at your child for the first time, not that this was your experience, but just, you know, I remember being so drugged up and I looked at my child and I I looked at him and I was like, this is just surreal. And I even said that to my husband, like, it just didn't feel real, you know? And, and there's some shame that goes along to that, to, to not have that moment where you absolutely fall in love and you all go home and it's all so happy, you know? Yeah. And so I think when... I, I, my personal experience is actually my doctor never asked me, um, any of those questions, but I think even had they, I would have been kind of leery as well, because do you really want to know if you, if you're just having me not sound terrible, if you're just having me answer a question here, do you really want to know, or is this just a liability so that you can say if something happened Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you asked, you know what I mean? So like, I would even have had thoughts at that point, like, is it really worth it? Because is this really you caring or is it just you screening me out so you can move on to the next person? Mm-hmm. That sounds really harsh. But... <laughs> no, no, it's so true. It's so true. It, I mean, it, yeah, it's so true. And also I wonder, um, and this is nothing against medical professionals. I right. mean, they're, they're doing what they're doing Absolutely. and that's a step in the right direction to getting to where we need to go. But if somebody even had asked me person to person those questions, I can't imagine I would have made it through answering those without sobbing. Yes. And so even just the difference of, of pulling a, a quiz up or a questionnaire up and then leaving the office versus just asking and having a, a conversation with somebody, I wonder if the results might look different. Right. Um, but also, even had that happened, I still would have been scared to answer correctly, even through my tears of worry of what does that mean? Yep. Because I think we have a lot of education out there of what postpartum depression is, perhaps, but not what happens if you have it. And so when you're in a place where you're going through postpartum depression, you're not thinking super logically most of the time. And so automatically, most of the time, your thoughts jump to the worst. And so if we were to say, hey, here's a questionnaire for you to answer. If the level scores are a certain degree, um, the doctor will talk to you about um, outpatient centers that are in the area or therapists in the area that specialize in working with moms with postpartum depression how different that is than the unknown of if I get this wrong or answered correctly, what is that going to look like? That makes so much sense, just that little bit of um, additional knowledge. And I'm really glad that you brought that up about the medical providers, because this is certainly in no way meant to be like a bash or anything like that. I think it's just, um, it's a system as a whole, and it's trying to help be supportive in the best ways that we can. And even as a therapist, you know, I, I always want to know, are there different ways that, you know, I can interact or different ways. And I ask clients for feedback too on situations as well. And so I think it's just important to be able to 
to note that we always have room for improvement, right? <laughs> and so it's great to be able to to talk with mothers as well. One thing that I notice, um, especially when I, because I have quite a few clients that have really struggled um, postpartum, and one thing that seems to be really common or more so common to me than even the depression aspect is a lot of anxiety symptoms and like that worst case scenario thinking which I think is one of the scariest parts for people because when you're thinking worst case you might think oh we're gonna get into a car accident or what if you know what if my baby swallowed something wrong and died you know you're thinking a lot of thoughts like that and those can often be misconstrued um, if um, whoever is talking with you doesn't necessarily have the skills and knowledge to know that that's not you wanting to harm your child mm-hmm. that's just a, a symptom of your anxiety and so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that you know for yourself or for others that you may have interacted with yeah um I I entirely agree um I think I think a couple things after we have a baby it is um a baby is something that is just for anybody who's had a baby it's unexplainable in like the amount of uh what, how can I put it like the amount of energy or the amount of thought or the amount of connection that there is um in a baby and and with that I mean like any item you've had that you've cherished in life it is like unexplainable to to correlate that to a baby so you know we might have like something that was our favorite anything like our our biggest thing in life and to lose that would just absolutely crush us and a child is just, you can't even put it into words what it would be. And so naturally to lose something like that or for something bad to happen mm-hmm. to our child, that is like the ultimate worst for many, many, many mothers. Yes. And so most of us moms, when we go to a place of anxiety and worry and we're at our worst, that's what we're thinking about yep. because it is like, it's irreplaceable. Maybe that's part of what I'm looking for it's absolutely irreplaceable and it's and it's a part of us and um by the way I need to caveat I know that that bond isn't isn't um there at first all the time and I know that bond can shift and change so I don't want anybody feeling guilty if they don't feel that bond right away I need to caveat that but um so it's no wonder that that's where our mind goes because that's like the biggest sabotage right so like Brene Brown talks about anybody who's Brene Brown fans Uh she talks about um sabotaging our happiness uh-huh. And so it's so easy when we're like, for example, watching our baby sleep in the monitor and watching their little like chest go up and down for breathing. It's so easy for us to sabotage that happiness and think, oh my gosh, what if my baby passed away from SIDS? Or what if my baby stopped breathing right now? Or what if a tornado just happened and took our house out? It's so easy to go there because we love them so much. And honestly, I just want to say, that moms that worry about our kids, it just shows you love them. Yes. I know that is so yes. simply put, but if you're worried about them to whatever degree and level that is, it means you're a good mama and you love them. Yes, absolutely. But with that, um, their anxiety after having a baby is super, super common. And I think it's in part what I just said, but I think a big piece of it is the misunderstanding of what anxiety is after having a baby and how it can be misconstrued in many different ways Mm -hmm. we can think that the mom is going to harm the baby we can think that the mom is acting out in a selfish manner there are so many like judgments that can be made right Right. after having a baby on a mom um so i'm gonna go back to i think that's why it's so important to find people who have a heart 
for working with moms mm-hmm. who have the knowledge for working with moms who can help kind of tease that stuff out and also kind of um, switch the thought process that goes into some of that stuff because some of what we need is just validation that what we're thinking is normal and the other pieces we need is to kind of help us shift our way of thinking and how we're thinking about things and so the biggest thing with either postpartum depression or anxiety is to really find a therapist or somebody that you can count on that is trained and working um, with people going through what you're going through so the right diagnosis is given and the right treatment is given. Absolutely. I love so many things that you said there. So many things. You know, one thing that I do think is really worth noting is that you said, you know, that validation piece is huge. You know, Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, also for clients that I work with, sometimes, you know, you just need someone to say, it's okay that you need half an hour to yourself each day or an hour, Mm -hmm. whatever that may look for you. It's okay Mm -hmm. that you feel like you need to continue to work because this is your passion. It's okay that Mm -hmm. you're not with your child every moment. It's okay that, you know, you don't necessarily think about them when you're gone. You know, there's so many different things Mm -hmm. that mothers go through and oftentimes really do that shame piece, really just beat yourself up Mm -hmm. over it. And and it's really Mm -hmm. very normal thoughts and normal feelings but if you don't talk about it or someone around you isn't talking about it then it just feels so isolating Mm -hmm. I even can I share an experience I had of course um I even had shared um with a friend you know that uh, honestly being a mom it's it is so hard to even put into words I've tried so many times and um there's a project that I'm working on and every time I sit down to like work on that part of it. I'm like, I don't even know how to move forward. I'm stuck because it's it's just hard to formulate the words. But um, I always mention that being a mom is the best thing that I have ever done, but it's also one of the hardest things that I have ever done. Mm-hmm. Having said that, sometimes that's not somebody's experience. And so mm-hmm. when they hear me say that, I've had people think that that's me just being super negative. But the reason that I'm saying it isn't because I'm being negative because I love being a mom and I wouldn't change it for the world. But I want other women to know that if they're thinking that, if they're thinking this is really tough, I want them to know that they're not alone. So if that means that I get a few glances or a few comments that make it seem like I'm just being negative or I'm not enjoying or appreciating what I have, that's certainly not it. It's just to let women know that it's okay to not love and cherish every stinking moment that some moments are really hard and you know my my son truly I love the age that he's at now but um I'm really interested in your perspective of this there is an author Jen Hatmaker I don't know if you're familiar with her um but I really enjoy some of her work and so one thing that she talks about is how she considers herself like a teen mom like obviously neither of us are in the teen years yet so who knows but <laughs> she talks a lot about how like now that she's in the teen years with some, with her kids like this is her jam and this is the part that she's loved the most And I have realized that I just, I'm not a baby mom. That is not Mm -hmm. what I enjoyed. And Mm -hmm. I enjoy this toddler stage. And obviously I haven't gotten, you know, past that. He's almost three. So who knows what else I will love. But I love this stage of watching them learn, um, you know, and speak and just explore their environment and start getting imagination. And so I'm really curious, have you noticed if there's certain certain times I know you're kind of early on too but certain parts of your children's life that you're like this just isn't so fun but maybe another part is yeah absolutely so um like I talked about in the beginning I have two kids and so my oldest is four and my youngest is one and a half and they have entirely opposite personalities Mm -hmm. 
um, which comes with, um, so I just want to go into really quick with my daughter. I worried so much about like the temper tantrums and how much she would scream and tell people what she doesn't want. And, um, somebody would walk in a room and say like, hi, sweetie. And she'd be like, yeah. And I would be so embarrassed. (laughs) Um, but now that she's a little bit older, I'm like, yes, like you let people know what you want. You're able to stand your ground. Like, I don't have to worry about you running away from me. Like she is there are phenomenal pieces to the pieces that are really tough with her. And so now on the other end of it, we have my son who was like the calmest baby, like rarely ever cried. I mean, just entirely different. And it's funny to see now my worries for him because they're the opposite of my daughter. Like, Oh my gosh, I hope he'll be able to stand up for himself. Sure. sure. I hope he cries when he's hungry, you know? (laughs) Um, it's so funny how um, how different temperaments can be. Yes. And um, I used to be judgmental. I'm just going to call it what it is. I used to be judgmental of parents. Like, like your daughter has an attitude. That's a parenting issue. And like, no, honey, that's not a parenting issue. For the most part, that's a temperament issue. And that girl's going to have that probably her whole life. <laughs> sure. So yeah. it, has, um, it has really humbled me as a parent to recognize that, of course, there's parenting we can do. And, of course, there's things we can do to help um, kind of balance things out and, and things like that. But, um, so when you ask me the age and what I kind of like and don't like, one would think that, um, the ages for each of my kids would be different for what's been tough and what's been easy. Uh But quite honestly, that like one to two years old Uh for my daughter was really tough for me. And for my son is currently tough for me. And it's kind of that, um, I want to do it myself, but I can't do it myself. So oh, uh-huh. I want to stand on the stool in front of the makeover station, but I can't actually stand on it without falling. Right. Or um, I want to walk down the steps, but I actually can't walk down the steps by myself without falling so that um, I don't want help, but I actually need help. Right. That's kind of the stage that's a little bit, that's been more difficult for me, for both my daughter and my son. So we'll see how it goes um, once Peyton hits. Like two and a half, I felt like things were much easier in life sure. um, for us. So we'll see if that happens with my son too. Right now, I'm not quite sure, but I feel like his age right now is a tough age for him and was kind of for my daughter too. So I think this part of life is, has been the toughest for us so far. Yeah, no, that, that makes That's really insightful that you're able to kind of break it down too, you know, with both of them and their different personalities and how that has impacted. And you are, <laughs> I would say you're very accurate. That is a tough time in life because it's the wanting to do it themselves, not being really able to. And sometimes that's frustrating because you just need to get going. <laughs> you know, yep. and it's like I don't yep. have time for you to do this by yourself. You do need that help, and so that definitely yep. that's tough. I also think once kids can kind of tell you what is going on with them a little bit more, I think that's super helpful. I don't know if you've ever okay. felt like that, but once they can, like, not that you know, kids are able to process or everything, but once a child can say, "I would like a snack," or you know what I mean, like it's much easier. You don't yeah. have to really guess as much as far as like what some of their needs are. And I think that's super helpful too. Yep. I totally agree. So we're going to, you know, kind of change gears a little bit. Uh, I just want to talk about what are some of like your maybe biggest challenges or you talked earlier about your expectations of motherhood that you had before. And so I'm wondering if there are some that you had that are just were way off base from what you experienced that maybe ended up being some of the biggest challenges for you. Yeah, of course. So I think one of the biggest 
um, kind of challenges for me or expectations that um, wasn't my reality was um, we're kind of as a society and I guess me as a person for sure had this view of what having a baby would be like and how it's like sunshine and roses and the baby will probably cry every once in a while and you might not know what to do sometimes but overall it is like this whole new life and it like catapults you to a new place and all that has pieces of truth intertwined in it Mm -hmm. but I think one of the biggest struggles for me was that I personally and I imagine other people but I personally was grieving the loss of my old life yes and um wasn't prepared for that Mm -hmm. and so the simplicity of being able to wake up on whatever day if I planned it or not planned it and to be able to just like chill out on the couch and watch tv for an hour or a couple of hours or whatever that looks like and get up and go grocery shopping when I felt like it and then clean the house whenever I felt like it or um, plan to go with friends I wasn't expecting it it was never a thought Mm -hmm. but like literally grieved the loss of my old life Mm -hmm. and what that meant and recognizing and understanding and processing that 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 old life served a purpose and created who I was but likely wouldn't be again right and that my new life I needed to grow into and learn to love and it's not that black and white but it is in a way that black and white that the day that your my first baby was born was a super happy time but it was also a super sad time Mm -hmm. that I wasn't prepared for feeling that sadness of Mm -hmm. and I initially was really when I when I came to terms with like oh my gosh I just lost what I had before and I'm starting new I felt really selfish saying that like, oh, boo hiss, you don't get to lay on the couch any longer whenever you want to. But it's true and it's real. That it's, right. it's kind of like, I'm going to put it in perspective in a different way, but it's kind of like when, if somebody decides to pick up and move states. Yep. So, like, maybe there's more um, more to do there. Maybe you're improving your quality of life if you move. But the likelihood that you're not going to be sad or grieve over leaving your old place is unlikely. Mm-hmm. And so... I hope that that helps other people to feel that and to recognize that that's okay and that it is true, that that your life is changing and it will forever be changed. And there's absolute beauty in that, but also recognize that it's okay to feel sad for what's behind you as well and to feel sad for, I think I felt like I didn't even appreciate those days when I had them. I didn't know what about them. to appreciate and now looking back it's like gosh I wish I would have appreciated and loved those more instead of looking to the future of like let's let's build a family let's you know move forward I wish I would have been more content but um I think that was probably one of the biggest challenges for me was grieving the loss of my old life Mm -hmm. and moving into my roles as being a mom Yes. Yeah. I definitely relate to that a lot. And actually my husband and I, you know, did pick up and move from one state to the next. And I can tell you that even now we talk about, you know, we, we miss the people at home. I mean, we miss them dearly. Mm -hmm. We really do. Um, We know that we're where we're supposed to be, but we also miss them dearly. We also miss that time in life, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And so we've talked a lot about that. It's just like, it's almost like when you have a big change like that, 
there's like before our move and after our move, if that makes sense. Like before yeah. our son and after our son, like any big life change like that, it's like the before and the after. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a difference in, in, in life essentially and trying to navigate and feel comfortable with your new quote normal, if there is anything called that, you know, and so it can take yeah. a bit for sure. So you're not definitely not alone in that by any means. So I know that, you know, we've talked before um, and you mentioned too about, you know, really feeling confident in your your own ability to parent. And I'm wondering, yeah. can you share a little bit about your progress with that um, and how you've been able to find some additional confidence in your parenting? Yeah, of course. So um, like I had said, after I had my daughter, um, I just didn't know what was right or wrong. And mm-hmm. so I think that some of us maybe grew up with kids or grew up with parents or family members or siblings to where you had like a good grasp on maybe what it looks like to raise a baby or what's right or wrong with a baby. But I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing that. And so I felt really like just blind in how to raise my daughter in like the, in the minuscule thing. Right. So I knew big picture, like sure. so you need to change her diaper and you need to feed her and like that stuff I knew, but the minuscule things like, okay, so how many naps a day is normal? And is it normal for her to wake up after 30 minutes consistently? And like, how much sleep should we be getting? And well, is it okay for her to have a pacifier? And when is it okay for her to have a pacifier? And right. like how often should she be eating? And what's this breastfeeding thing? And like, those little tiny things where unless you have somebody who's recently gone through it um, or somebody who's like really good at remembering or somebody who's currently going through it, it is really hard to get answers for that stuff and to trust in yourself that what you're doing and your intuition is right. Right. And the other piece is many of those things, if you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. Yep. And so I just had these thoughts of like, but which one is right and which one is wrong? And at some point and through time, obviously it didn't just happen, but I had to come to a place of loving me and loving who I was and accepting who I was and recognizing that I'm going to make mistakes um, and I'm going to do things really, really, really well. And I honestly think that the change in my confidence in parenting happened when I got past the postpartum depression mm-hmm. when I kind of like refound myself and regained my confidence in me. And I don't, I can't imagine me being able to find that confidence in the middle of feeling as icky as I did. Sure. And so honestly, I think the key to being a confident person in parenting is at least for me was about finding me and loving me first and then after that it's far easier to give grace to yourself for like one time dude I um life was chaotic I was very depressed Uh and one time I forgot to buckle my daughter in okay my daughter was like I don't know eight weeks old or less and I put her in her car seat and I told you sleeping was hard and Uh I had gotten her to sleep in her car seat I brought my mother-in-law to the um uh walk-in clinic Uh anyways and I had gotten her to sleep. I was in the middle of this crowded room at this walk-in dirty clinic. And I had gotten her to sleep. I had been super embarrassed because she was screaming bloody murder. And I had these feelings of like, all these people are looking at me thinking, I don't know how to care for my child. Yep. And in fact, I don't know how to care for my child right now. I just need to get her to sleep. 
got her to sleep in her car seat, which was like very, very rare. And so I just pulled the um, top visor shut. And in that car seat, the visor went all the way to her feet. So it would like shade everything. Uh-huh. Well, lo and behold, my mother-in-law came out. I swooped up my daughter. We went to the car. I put her car seat in the, the base, dropped my mother-in-law off on one end of town, drove to the other end of town, pulled my daughter's car seat out of the base, got inside, flopped that little canopy up. And guess who wasn't buckled into her little feet? Yep. And yep. I held myself accountable for so long for that. Like, oh my gosh, Brittany, like social services could have been called on you and you are such a bad mom. What if you got in a car accident? Like I held myself so accountable for that. Like you should not have been a mom, Brittany. I was so oh, hard on myself. Goodness. But grace is so much easier to find in yourself when you love yourself. Yes. And so like, dude, that's happened since then when my four year old in the back seat and I like put the car in gear and she's like, Mama, I'm not buckled in and I'm like, Hallelujah, you can talk, girlfriend. Right. <laughs> and buckle her in. Right, right. And go on her merry way. Like but I don't think I would have found um, motivation or the confidence in parenting had I not first gotten myself to a point of loving who I am. Yes. Oh, I love that so much and can definitely identify with that um, in so many ways. And and I thank you for talking us through that and just being really open and honest about that. You know, a lot of times um, there, there, I'll see like articles, you know, and one that keeps popping into mind is parents leaving their kids, you know, in like the heat or the cold. And we could go on a whole nother tangent about that. Um, but what I really love in some situations is where another parent will say, you know, what? I almost did that. Or I did mm-hmm. that and caught it right away. And not that, mm-hmm. that that's dismissing any, you know, choices or whatever, but I think just being able to say like, sometimes mistakes happen. We're human, mm-hmm. yeah, you know? And I, I mean, I've even, you know, <laughs> heard of people that are in, um, I won't say where they work cause that's not, you know, necessary, but <laughs> in certain roles yeah. where like their job is to help somebody learn how to parent. And they've even made mistakes like that. The car seat is one I'm thinking in particular, you know? And so if somebody mm-hmm. in that role is going to be able to make a mistake because they're human too, why can, mm-hmm. you know, why do we hold ourselves to the standard that we're never going to make any mistakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes it can be easier to tell ourselves, like, what that person did was really heinous or um, inappropriate because it almost protects us from thinking that we're capable of doing that mm-hmm. when, in fact, we're all just human beings and we're capable of doing a lot of things, especially unintentionally or on accident, yep. that we would hope we never would do but we find ourselves in situations sometimes where we're like I just can't believe that 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 really did happen to me so I think when we do that it can be a protective factor of thinking well if it's super smith then I couldn't I couldn't possibly do it Mm -hmm. but in fact man I have done lots of things where I am like gosh I did it that was me and so um the other piece is I think in especially certain professions, but maybe this can go to every profession. We think that because we're in that profession, it can't happen to us. But like, dude, if you're a plumber, like your pump can still, or your um, plumbing can still burst, right? Right, right. If you're a doctor, your kids can still get sick. Absolutely. Like just because we're therapists doesn't mean we wear a cape. That means mental health doesn't apply. Absolutely. Or just because we're therapists doesn't mean we just happen to know the answers to everything or we're available and in tune mentally at every moment of every life. Like we are just all human beings. We have a profession that we were called to and that's what we do in life, but it doesn't mean that we're not human along with our profession. Absolutely. You know, often, um, 
I think, you know, about like different skills and things like that. And, you know, clients will have this perception that we've maybe never struggled with anything or we got it all figured out. And I'm like, no, 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 I am human just like you. There are certain skills that I use just like you. You know, I may mm-hmm. not be able to run through all of my um, situation because that's not ethical. And this time is about you, not me. But my goodness, there are things that I work through all the time. And for I know for me personally, I would not be as passionate about helping mothers and fathers, you know, in the postpartum um, journey had I not gone through that myself. And if I'm not still working through that, I think for some reason, mm-hmm. we try to convince ourselves that we have to be completely past something in order to be able mm-hmm. to help other people with it. And I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. I totally agree. I think that um, having somebody who's been through it, I don't think every therapist has to be through everything that yep. they're helping in people. That's not at all what I think. So I hope nobody gets that from it. But I think there is a huge piece in having actually been there and felt feelings, which mm-hmm. could be similar or different from somebody. Right that oftentimes sparks a fire in us of like, I really want to help that person because I remember how desperate it felt when I needed help or, um, or just also feeling like I have a piece of me that just wants to help. And this is an area where I just feel super, super passionate about helping. So I think that it gives like a, a spark inside of our little souls when we've been through it oftentimes. I would absolutely agree with that. That's a great way to summarize that for sure. So I want to, in you know, wrapping it up, I usually have questions I ask everyone. Last time you were here, I had you answer some of those. So we're going to just um, take a different spin on the last few questions. But I really want to hear more about your new YouTube channel, your audio books. You, you know, briefly mentioned that earlier. So can you tell us about that and like your movement towards private practice? There's like so much excitement <laughs> going on right now. So I'd love if you can just tell us about it. I love it. Well, thank you for asking. I have been joking, like, probably for the last couple of weeks that I don't know what it is, but whenever anybody asks me about, like, my alternate endeavor, so, like you said, narrating audiobooks and my YouTube channel and private practice, I get so nervous. I don't know what it is, but oh, I was just stopped in the... I just stopped in the hall before this podcast and somebody was like hey dude cool website I was like yeah yeah bye <laughs> you're so funny I can't even like appropriately accept um compliments on it and I just I think it's because it's new and yeah changes absolutely. Hearts, but, it is it is um, for sure. so thank you for bringing it up I appreciate it yeah. so I'll um talk just quickly about the audiobook narration because that was so random you guys so I literally was listening to a podcast for mental health therapists Mm -hmm. and it was about building your own private practice and in this podcast the gentleman who was being interviewed talked about writing a book and how he was in the process of getting it narrated to go on to he was talking about audible Mm -hmm. and um he said something about this website called ACX And so um, I was like, oh, crazy. So I Googled it and like literally I watched this little video that was like, you too can narrate audiobooks. (laughs) And I was like, what? Me too? I love that so much. (laughs) And so I um, started watching like some YouTube videos to see kind of what it was about and like if it was actually possible for just like a person like me to narrate an audiobook. Because, guys, like, I have no acting skills. I, like, I'm just a human being, <laughs> normal human being. <laughs> sure. I'm quirky. I misread words a lot. Like, so, yep. anyways, I looked into it, and I was like, well, what the heck? I'm just going to try it and, and see what happens. I, I think I've got it from these YouTube videos. Um, also, I need to add, like, I'm not very techie. I can, like, do your normal, like, PowerPoint email type stuff, but uh-huh. I am not, like, a super techie person. 
So um, how it works on this website is there are books. There's like hundreds of thousands of books that are just out there for people to audition for where people are looking for a narrator. Yeah. And so I literally like pulled out my iPhone and used a little voice recorder and I submitted an audition for a book that to me looked interesting. It was like, I think I'd read that book. I'll try it. And guys, like my audition got accepted. And so I was like, oh no, okay, I can do this. (laughs) I love that that was your response. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously, this is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest part was like, these people are actually like waiting for me to give them material. It's not just like this. Like, yeah, people were actually like counting on you to do something for them. So I was like, all right, well, here we go. So it was a three hour long book. And so they estimate that for every hour you record, um, estimate five hours, up to five hours for editing. And so I was like, well, I'm a newbie, so it's probably going to take me more than that. It probably did take me more than that to edit it. Uh-huh. So, um, My gosh, you have to anybody, edit it all yourself? Yeah, yeah. Oh. You could hire somebody if you wanted, but sure. um, that, yeah, I wasn't about that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know enough, you guys, so <laughs> I just did it. I love this so, so much. So I, I did my little YouTube video things. I did everything that I thought they did in the YouTube video, yeah. completed all of the chapters. Remind you, it was like three hours long, so I probably spent like 30 to 40 hours on doing this audiobook uh-huh. in the middle of having two little kids at home, so literally like 8.30 at night. Every night I was downstairs in my peace and quiet, like recording on my microphone. Yep. So I submitted everything. I thought I was like the biggest rock star for submitting it. I threw myself a party. Uh-huh. And like two weeks later, I get an email back from ACS saying like, here's a list of all the things you did wrong and you need to fix it. <gasps> oh my goodness. And like literally, I couldn't even think. I was so nervous and anxious about like, I don't know how to fix all this. Like, I don't know what to do. So of course, I went back to my like YouTube videos and I couldn't figure it out. And so I found this like blog about um audacity is the program that i use uh-huh. and i literally submitted my files to these like gurus that are like technology savvy people and their response back to me was you're gonna need to re-record all of that it sounds like you have a sound machine playing in the background i was like i did oh no <laughs> So it was honestly such a good experience. I uh, like took a couple days to like get my stomach back to feel sure. normal and not feel sick about it. And then I was like, whatever, I'm going to do oh, it. Yeah. I will finish it. That's the end of it. Well, in the meantime, I found a couple more books that I was like, I'm pretty sure I really actually know how to do this now. So I'm going to audition for these books. And so I auditioned for a couple more and like, it just kept going. I submitted that first book. I got the approval. It's for sale. Um, and so I just like kind of kept going. So I was like, dude, this is kind of sweet. It's like extra income. I get to read these books that I normally would like to read and I get them sent to me for free and I can like increase books or audition for more books if I have more time and then lay low when I don't have time. And so it's just kind of like a guilty pleasure of mine on the side that I do. And that's kind of how I got into it. That's awesome. Um, so that's my, um, audio book thing. My YouTube channel, for real, guys, I've been wanting to start a YouTube channel for years and was always too scared to start a YouTube channel. And my inspiration for it was um, before I went to grad school and I wanted to be a therapist, I started watching this lady's therapy channel, and I'm going to shout her out. I don't know her. I've never met her. I only watch uh-huh. her YouTube channels. But her name is Katie Morton, M-O-R-T-O-N. And she does all these videos on mental health disorders and life and just kind of everything to do with mental health therapists. 
And before I was a therapist and from then on, really, I watched her videos to like help me in my competency as a therapist. So she like talks about like diagnoses and how to treat them and like just real life stuff. She talks both to other therapists and to just the regular public. And from the time that I started watching her videos, I thought like, oh my gosh, I want to do this because it was so helpful for me. I want to be able to help other people this way. Sure, yeah. And in time, her channel has grown to be huge. And literally, it is just such an inspiration. Like all those people saw that video on mental health. And what an awesome way to get mental health spread throughout the world, really throughout yes. the world. Um, and what it means and to be able to like talk to many different populations and a variety of people. So like give them hope and healing and ideas of like, when should you go in and when is a problem more than just a little problem. And um, so that was my inspiration for doing it. I'm not kidding you, you guys. Like when I put on Facebook that my first video was out, I was sweating bullets. My hands were shaking. I was so scared for the comments on that post because it was so vulnerable and like, mm-hmm. I hope I said the right things and I wonder if people will disagree with me and all that stuff. Right, right. And so um, that's kind of where that came from. I um, have been continuing to do two videos a week and I will continue to do that even through my nervousness and all that stuff because um, I really do just want to get some words out there for people to hear and to help people who are looking for some help that don't have access to it or just need like a little pick me up for the day. Yep, Absolutely. Can you um, say where, like, tell people how they can find your YouTube channel? Obviously, like, search for it on YouTube, but what is it called? And Yeah, of course. So if you just go into YouTube and in the search bar, if you type in my name, it's Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. And then my last name is Shank, S-C-H-A-N-K. You'll find me. I'm, like, wearing, like, a white and pink sweater and I have um, brown hair. You'll, like, see my picture right away and you can get to my channel and search through all my videos and all that stuff. Great. And I've watched your videos and I think they're fantastic. So I'm really excited to see like how, you you know, where you go from here. So and I'm going to check out Katie. She sounds pretty great. So thanks she for sharing is, that. Yeah, she's totally phenomenal. And so, thank you for yeah, your compliment. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about private practice. Yeah. So um, kind of how um, it works in North Dakota for therapists is you get your license as a social worker and then um, your master's degree and a license as a social worker and then you have to do clinical work for a certain amount of hours and get supervision for a certain number of hours and then you're able to go independent so right now I'm at Abound Counseling and I am uh, an employee of Abound Counseling but in just a few short months I think right around April I will be eligible for um, my highest level of license to be on my own and so I and to open my own private practice really And so um, I will continue to be at a bound counseling, but um, I have decided on a practice name and I will start seeing clients through that private practice as well. Um, And the name is Solace Counseling. And so that kind of has been a journey in itself as well of like where to go and how to do it and what does this look like and um, all that kind of type of stuff that comes with it. And I'm super nervous and excited all at the same time. Um, But that's it. So um, eventually within the next couple of months, solace counseling will be open and that will be who I am. And that will be my private practice name. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that you said, you know, when you posted it, that you were feeling really nervous. I mean, still at times, depending on, you know, the topic of the podcast, I will be like, ooh, like I know the one that's um, coming out <laughs> tomorrow. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to ruffle some feathers with this. Um, and I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but it needs to be done and said, and I'm just going to put it out into the world. But there's still kind of that feeling of like, you know, a little unsureness as far as how it's going to be perceived. But I think as long as we keep in our minds that we're, one, doing the best that we can, and we have good intentions, and we may not be perfect, and we may not say things and word things exactly how we would always want, but as long as we continue to try and continue to, you know, strive to improve, I think then we're on a pretty good path, you know, at least that's why I tell myself (laughs) through that, because it's scary to put yourself out into the world, because that opens it up for people to critique what you're doing, and sometimes that just feels really scary. Yes, there's no like hiding, you know, there's right. no hiding behind somebody as they're saying something or like, it's like, this is me and these are my decisions and they're open for the world to see and it is super, super vulnerable. I try to remind myself though, in anything I do, look at how many other people have done it and um, they were brave enough to do it and I too am brave enough to do it and making sure that I have a good support system around me that is gracious and holding my hand through my good decisions and the decisions that might not be the best. And they're still there saying like, well, we all make good and bad decisions. So I'm still here. Absolutely. No, I love that. I heard, um, I can't remember who said it, to be honest, but a while back, I heard somebody say that, you know, with vulnerability, um, people often think it's really brave. You know, that's the outside perspective, but it feels really scary. It feels Mm -hmm. very, very scary. And so um, I think that's a portion of it too is as long as, I mean, for me, I'm just speaking for me personally, not for you, but just for me, as long as I feel like I'm doing my best to be as vulnerable as as I feel appropriate, because we all have a limit, right? You know, like we don't bear our heart and soul to the world, but um, I feel like that vulnerability can just really be super beneficial. So kind of like we talked about today, people know they're not alone. Because had you not said, hey, you know, posting the YouTube channel, I was, you know, a little nervous about like what people are going to say and how this is going to be perceived. If somebody is going to start something like that themselves and they know, okay, this is a normal feeling, you know, I'm not alone in being scared about this. I think that's really empowering for people. And what we, what we need in the world, I think is just more positive, encouraging voices out there just sharing good knowledge, you know? That was a really simplified way of what we need in the world, but... No, yeah, I agree. And also, um, I try to remind myself when I'm being vulnerable, is this something that I wished I would have heard when I was going through that tough stuff? And that helps me gauge my own vulnerability level. Like, um, is it too much? Is it not enough? Because I'm vulnerable typically to help other people. Of course, it helps me as well, too. My, like, growing motivation is to help other people. And so I try to remind myself, like, if you're teetering on the be vulnerable, don't be vulnerable level, many times if we're not vulnerable, it's hard for people to connect with us. So if my true goal is to help other people, I question myself, is this something that would have been helpful for you to hear when you were going through it? If yes, then it helps me kind of tip my vulnerability scale to say, okay, be brave you can do it right and the other piece is like literally I this is self-talk to myself I'm I seriously say this in my head when I'm feeling nervous and uncomfortable I literally self-talk and say Brittany this is you growing Brittany this is you growing to remind myself that this isn't just all for nothing I'm not just like being vulnerable or saying this and 
it's just going to go nowhere. If it doesn't help anybody else, which I hope it does, I also know that it's me growing. And so cheering myself on in that way, like, Brittany, you got this, you're growing, these are growing, and this is what it feels like to grow. When Mm -hmm. you're nervous, you're growing. Yep, absolutely. You know, um, you have the video that talks about the New Year's resolutions versus, like, having a word for your year. And I really have been thinking on that. I've been thinking on that for quite some time, actually. And I just really cannot come up with uh, like a word per se this year. But I happened to read this article the other day from Brene Brown, actually. Um, But it was talking about courage over comfort. And I think that that's going to, not that everyone wants to know, but that's going to be my focus this this year is to have courage over comfort. Because it's so easy to pick the comfortable. And it's not always so easy to pick the courageous thing the thing that really just yep. is scary. And so that, that certainly is my goal. Um, and if other people haven't thought of a word or are wondering what we're talking about, they should go watch that video. Cause that was really great. So, but do you have, you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any last thoughts? We'll put um, your contact information again. We will, um, you know, make sure we have the link to the YouTube channel. Um, and also at some point, if you want us to link um, your private practice, when all of that is up and going, we can do that as well. But is there any other last thoughts you have? I think the biggest thing I just hope people can feel from this or can get from this is that if postpartum depression, anxiety, um, worries about having babies, worries about getting pregnant, anything surrounding that, if that is a part of your life, please, please, please know that there are trained professionals out there whose passion is to work with you and help you through that. And so know that there's help available um, out there. And so um, seriously, like, you can, excuse me, you can like Google therapists when you're um, in your area, when you're talking to them, ask them if those are specialties for them, ask them if they're comfortable um, with people who are going through stuff like that, because I just think it is so important for us to know that there's help out there, that you aren't going to get like thrown in some hospital because you're having postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, just know that there's help out there and, and, and reach out and finding it. You can reach out to the contact information Kelly's giving you for me. Um, I'm sure Kelly would be more oh, than willing to like send you guys in the right direction. Um, but just reach out if you need that help. Please don't let the shame get you down and just reach out. Absolutely. That I honestly, I think that that is so fantastic that you touched on that again, because it is so important to know that there are certainly resources and if you can't find them or you just need to touch base or whatever that may be certainly we'll have contact for Brittany you can always contact me as well Um, it's definitely as you can probably hear through the podcast a huge passion for both of us so in any way that we can help with that um, certainly we would want to do that so well thank you again Brittany for being on the podcast and for being so open and honest with things that you've been through I really appreciate it of course thank you for having me again yeah take care you too bye-bye Thank you for listening to Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. For all things related to this episode, please go to www.kellysisson.com backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. A special thank you to our producer, Joe Burkett, and our assistant, Carrie, who both helped to make this podcast possible. See you next week for another episode.